Hi, I'm Ketki and I'm Sanaya. We're two curious overthinkers who love pop culture. In this podcast, we'll be dissecting pop culture and technology trends and how they're shaping everyday life. Ever watched a TV show or movie, read an article or heard a song that made you stop and wonder what it reflects about us and the way that we live our lives? That's where we come in. Welcome to Dude, I was thinking, where no thought is too fleeting to dissect, analyze and follow down the rabbit hole. In this first episode ever, we're exploring something that's close to our digital hearts and maybe our physical beating hearts as well. Dating. Dating has come to shape our lives and color our experiences as independent adults navigating life in a large urban metropolitan city in India. And these experiences have led us to question the very ecosystem that shapes dating cultures and practices in the country. In this episode, we want to explore how dating is manifested in India and take a deeper look at the trends that are enabling more prominent and overt dating norms to evolve in a country where they didn't previously exist. We'll also be joined later in this episode by Vishnu Priya Das, a scholar and ethnographer whose work explores the intersections of intimacy, technology, and the dating app ecosystem in India. So before we get into exploring our thesis question, maybe we can start by doing a little context setting and taking a look at the history of mobile-based dating apps, both globally and in India. The story of dating apps in India and globally begins with Grindr. Grindr was launched in the US in 2009, back then targeting only gay men. But its defining feature was its ability to match users based on their location or geographical proximity, making it kind of a first mover in this particular technology, especially in relation to the dating market. And what followed was an onslaught of heterosexual dating apps adopting the same location-based technology and UI, Tinder being the first to do so in 2012. Once these dating app companies started coming up in the West, they slowly started to gain a significant Indian user base after just a few years. Uh, Grindr in 2011, Tinder in 2014, and around the same time, 2014, 2015, a number of Indian or NRI-owned dating apps like Truly Madly, Woo, Isle, etc. start to crop up, each claiming that they know what Indians are looking for vis-a-vis dating. Today, Indians can take their pick among a plethora of dating apps, with Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, OkCupid, Truly Madly happen being some of the biggest ones across metro cities. The dating app market in India today is incredibly competitive. And what that's really led to is young Indians suddenly being confronted with a very explicit, overt mode of dating for the first time, one that has been imported into the country through these apps. So, dude, I was thinking, what does it then mean to date in India? Because the explicit act of going on a date with someone, you know, talking to them on the app, planning a meeting getting all dressed up, meeting them, making awkward conversation, getting to know them better, is like all fairly new in this context. I mean, does this idea of dating, the one that I just described, of meeting someone for dinner or drinks or a movie, even exist outside this very incredibly specific and non-representative context of urban metropolitan English-educated Indians? What are the reference points that are informing these ideas and how does dating actually manifest in the rest of the country, both before and after the arrival of dating apps. I suppose we should begin with trying to define what exactly we mean by dating. Today, it can refer to any of the broad spectrum of encounters between casual sex and a long-term committed relationship. 
This would include one-night stands, platonic meetings, seeing someone regularly but not seriously, with or without labels, and of course, quote-unquote, serious relationships as well. A useful way to think about dating then, and this is something Vishnupriya mentions in her research exploring how dating app companies are hoping to define this process, is meeting someone romantically without marriage being the end goal. Yep. And let's not forget about parents. Like, you can't have a conversation about dating in India without also talking about the role that parents play in the process. Yeah, you could say that parental involvement in the process, or lack thereof, might be the defining factor in helping us understand how dating manifests in India. Simply put, like, dating takes place without parental involvement often with the express intention to look for someone independently of them, assert your authority and, you know, discover something about yourself in the process. Yeah, and and this has been around a lot longer than dating apps, like sneaking around, exploring relationships that your parents and your larger community, you know, may not approve of. Yeah, that's right. Like dating by no means is new in India. It just takes on a very unique expression depending on who you are and where you're located in the country. Very often, this involves a lot of secrecy and unsaid rules about how to go about meeting someone when you don't have the intention to marry them, right? What's even more interesting is that the arrival of dating apps has brought this process out into the open. Now that there are these structures that are attempting to articulate the rules of engagement for this process, we need to think about what a dating culture with its own set of norms has looked like and can look like in India. But let's backtrack a bit. Like, if dating isn't new, what are these rules of engagement? Like, what are the reference points informing these norms? And how are things changing now that dating apps are seemingly here to stay? So we know that dating in India is not new, or it did exist even before the arrival of dating apps in the country. What were some of the norms and practices that existed before? I think, for the most part, a good word to describe this kind of dating is that it was underground. It took place without parental approval. Young people had to contend with almost parental supervision and surveillance in some cases. Sometimes they were dealing with disapproval from the community and even a lack of public spaces where they could live out their romance. You know, just think of the nosy auntie in your society who is going to tell your parents that she saw you with a boy or something of that nature. So there was this general air of secrecy and a little bit of fear that your parents may find out what that might mean for your relationship and this little threat of punishment looming over this entire process. You know, it's it's interesting because the trope of forbidden romance or parental opposition is so common in Bollywood films. Like parental opposition is usually the key reason why two lovers can't be together in these films. Like, whether it's mm-hmm. Kayamat se Kayamat tak, um, obviously that's based on Romeo and Juliet, but still, or Dilwale Dulhaniya Le Jayenge, or the more recent two states. You know, even though parents do eventually come around in most of these movies, like for the large part, they take on the role of the villain. And I think that says a lot about the role that parents play in your romantic life. They're this looming presence that you eventually have to contend with. You know, outside of this, there's also the trope of taking a lover that doesn't belong to your faith or caste, which is also really commonplace in these films. So whether it's your parents or the community, the way in which dating and romance has manifested typically is through this form of secrecy and concealing of individual desires. 
whether it's art imitating life or life imitating art i do think bollywood has served as a major cultural reference point that has provided us with a blueprint and shaped uh, our collective understanding of dating and romance yeah i think this is very much an evergreen topic for bollywood movies yeah. but dating apps what they've done is really bring this you know underground process overground so to speak you know so now these norms and reference points which were characterized by secrecy like they kind of have to naturally adapt and respond to this more explicit more overt idea and process of dating yeah and the way in which dating apps are structured and engineered is very western right like if you think about just the platform and what it offers it's a place to have a conversation about your likes and dislikes and then set up a meeting but entirely of your own accord this meeting would typically take place in a cafe or a bar which is a public place and you would be meeting someone of your choice which is an autonomous decision and there just aren't as many reference points in indian media that portray this form of dating maybe some now but still not as many because it's so inherently western So in attempting to perform this kind of dating we seek and internalize international ideas and codes around dating which we typically imbibe from hollywood films and tv shows. Yep and you know i think this is something that dating app companies are very aware of. Yeah. And you know they're aware of the fact that this is a very foreign very western conception of dating and there is a need to localize this process and this idea in a new context and you can see this very clearly in the way that they market themselves in india right like there is an understanding that the apps have to adapt to this new context and a great example of this is the kind of emphasis that is placed on women's security so dating apps especially for heterosexual relationships they need women to sign up to the platform and then the men follow right so how do you get women in india to feel safe enough to create a dating app profile and you're essentially going to be meeting strangers so you need women to feel safe and homegrown apps like truly madly the process of creating a profile requires you to upload your id so that your identity can be confirmed so this is quite unique to the way indian dating apps function like this kind of emphasis on making women feel safe and secure and another way in which these apps have marketed themselves over here is there is a lot of emphasis placed also on this need to educate indians on you know these international codes of dating in truly madly's marketing as well there's a lot of a lot of language used around avoiding creeps on these apps for yeah. which is directed at women and sachin bhatia the the founder of truly madly and ira trivedi they also published this promotional book called the desi guide to dating which is essentially this manual of do's and don'ts of what's the right way to comport yourself on a date you know things like you don't tell someone you love them on the first date or just because someone went on a date with you doesn't mean that they like you let alone that they want to marry you so i think dating apps are trying very 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 explicitly to try and normalize this you know foreign international idea of dating within the indian context and you can also see this in 
this proliferation of dating coaches and surrogates who are basically going to simulate a date, especially for Indian men, right? Like there's an emphasis on educating Indian men, making women feel safe. So yeah, I think dating app companies are trying to adapt this process and normalize it within India. Yeah. And I guess like what I'm really interested in is how have users responded to this messaging you know are they using these apps in in the way that these marketing materials intend them to you know what makes dating in india different you know dating apps may be signaling a certain set of norms and they may want to define the dating dating process in a certain way but certain practices can only be articulated in how they are being used by young indians so i think yeah. to start with Dating using dating apps is still a very urban phenomenon in India. You don't see much dating app use or this particular kind of dating outside of large metropolitan centers in India. And dating app companies also market dating as something that is emblematic of modern cosmopolitan life in India. So insofar as dating apps are an urban phenomenon, what makes this mode of dating different over here is how they've come to be associated with ideas of independence, either financial, from your parents, or from the larger community when it comes to making these decisions about your romantic life. Dating apps in India, or urban India at the very least, are like in direct dialogue with those older norms around dating that were a response to the pressures that young people felt. And I guess like then dating in India can be seen as an assertion of independence since finding a partner was a process that was traditionally thought to be the jurisdiction of your parents or the wider community all, all left up to chance. You know, finding a partner now is being taken by young people into their own hands and sometimes entirely without the intention of marriage. Yeah, and I think that even if some of these older pressures still remain, and they do for the most part, Dating still offers young Indians an avenue to imagine a different life for themselves. So what makes dating using dating apps in India different is just this. It's this tension between parental and societal expectations on the one hand and the desire for independence over these life decisions. But, you know, like with marriage, parents still play an important role in the process whether it is hiding a relationship from them, asserting your autonomy over the process, or even if it's wondering whether your partner might be acceptable to your parents, they are still there, kind of in the center of how we think about it, how the process plays out. Yeah, so all of this is to say that what it means to date in India doesn't really have a straightforward answer. Like with anything else in this country, there are so many intersecting and overlapping factors that complicate it. To answer what it means to date in India, especially after the arrival of dating apps, you have to consider who is using these apps, where they are located, and how they are being used. Because it may not always be obvious at the first glance. Yep. And to figure this out and maybe move a little closer to uncovering what a dating culture in India can look like, we speak with our guest for today, Vishnu Priya Das. Vishnupriya is an innovation consultant specializing in emerging tech in the global south. She completed her PhD at the University of Michigan's Department of Communication Studies in 2021, 
Vishnupriya's research has examined the relationship between gender, mobile phones, and development initiatives in India, and her research focuses on social imaginaries surrounding popular apps in India like WhatsApp and Instagram. She's also spent a considerable amount of time researching the dating app ecosystem in the country, which is what we're hoping to explore through this episode. Her chapter titled Dating Apps, Intimacy, and Cosmopolitan Desire in India, published in 2019, has helped inspire the question we're hoping to explore through this episode. So Vishnu Priya, thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, just for the audience, could you tell us a little bit more about your research on dating culture and dating apps in India? Um, so my research broadly looks at how dating apps that became popular since the late 2010s, um, but really took off around 2015 and 2016 in India, are changing the ways in which people think about what love is and what sex is and what desire is. My dissertation work has focused on the producers of these dating apps and understanding how they imagine their audiences and structure and try to sort of mold in some ways, but also work with people's ideas about desire. Um, So it focuses on ideas about queer desire. It focuses on ideas about women's uh, rights and women's safety, and also about how uh, public space in India is complicated and how dating apps in this digital space intersects with physical space. That's so interesting. And I remember this actually while, you know, reading your paper that one of the major things that you mentioned was that the definition of dating is more than often, you know, the way that we understand it is it's kind of like defined by these dating apps and these dating websites. And that's sort of then imbibed by the general public and then internalized in a way, or maybe they kind of rework that definition. But going from that, maybe we could start off by just trying to attempt to like define dating um, specifically in the context of India. The reason that we want to kind of start off with this question is because when we started working on this podcast, I think both of us were sort of harboring the assumption that norms around dating and dating itself didn't really exist before the advent of dating apps. Like courtship rituals have always existed in India, but like there were no dating apps and, you know, dating as we understand it today didn't really exist in in that sense. But we kind of also got in touch with one of our ex-professors from the LSE. Uh, shout out to Shakuntala Banaji, who's a professor of media and communications at the LSE. And she actually said that while there weren't any, uh, you know, overt norms around dating, dating was kind of defined by these tacit norms. Um, you know, uh, that were like, there's like this culture of secrecy around dating and policing, often by parents or society that, you know, sort of defined dating at large and how people in India dated. As we attempt to answer the question of like what dating in India actually looks like, maybe we can sort of split that into two and then first look at what did dating in India look like before the advent of dating apps and what does it look like today? Oh, that's such a big question. Like, I like where you started off with the question of what is dating, because that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And it almost seems to be defined by dating is something where marriage is not the end. So it's always interesting to me that marriage is still the framework through which dating is defined. So like dating is if you're not really interested in marriage and want some kind of intimacy right there. Um, But as simplistic as it is, I think that works for a large part. So like there's not this sort of like larger social uh, structure that's like the end, which is here I'm calling marriage. Um, But I think that 
what's happened in India is that people have always explored what intimacy feels like in many different kinds of ways, whether that's walking around with your neighbor after dark or meeting on a rooftop or whether that's been through personal columns where people try to find other people or whether that's been through like friend networks. Dating is not new. I think the language of dating, if that makes any sense, yeah. is is what what is new. Uh, what do you guys think? No, this was something that came up when we considered that dating did exist, but maybe not with this particular language, with the terminology that maybe we've imbibed from like Western media, international culture, and now with dating apps arriving in India as well. But both Ketki and I were talking about how even when we were in school, there was this idea of, you know, a secret phone that I have to talk to my boyfriend, or, you know, you Mm -hmm. send someone this invitation to chat on MSN Messenger, or you go out for a movie as like a group of friends, but then you, you sort of plan it so that the couple that you want to set up sit together in the movie hall. So these were kind of norms that even as teenagers growing up in this context where parents can't know about dating, parents can't know that, you know, I have a phone to talk to a boy. Uh, Not that this is something that I personally did, but it was incredibly common. So this is a very like India specific or unique expression of what dating looked like for young people growing up in India. And now it's interesting because there's that question that comes up on dating apps, like, what are you looking for? And it's as varied as, you know, I'll see, like, I'm don't know. I'm, I think hinge specifically has a new feature where there's an option that says, open to see where it goes, open to a serious relationship, like not looking for anything serious right now, but open, maybe open to it in the future, which is not really an answer. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it's very nebulous. And I think it it is like a catch-all term. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted to figure out what it even means. And are there any norms around it now that it's more overt, more explicit? It's becoming like... Mm-hmm. A lifestyle almost for young people in urban areas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to uh, uh, try to attempt to define dating in India, like you kind of have to address sort of some of the traditional forms of courtship and how it sort of interacts with that. Um, and one of the biggest things that sort of came up in our research was that all of these traditional forms of courtship in India, which India is kind of known for now, you know, they, they've even made a show about it called Indian matchmaking. There is an external party more than often your parents or your family that interferes in how you find a partner. Like dating post dating apps is like a way to kind of seek out someone without the interference of parents or family. So in the context of India, dating is actually like an assertion of your independence almost just because of like the the way that like the courtship landscape has looked in India in the past. So I was wondering what you thought about that. I think that resonates a lot. Like two things that I think about is one, like what is really an app? If we're thinking about an app as some kind of a mediated way that two parties can connect with each other, something that always comes to mind is... um, In the early 90s, 
there were these lesbian networks where women seeking women would literally write into a particular NGO for it was framed as an NGO in Delhi being like, I am a woman seeking other women. Please put me in touch with them. And these letters would come in and then the NGO would be actually connecting them with other women. And the description, it wasn't just like low-key connection. The details in the messages would get quite explicit. And it was a lot about sex and sexual intimacy that used to be part of what these women were seeking across the distance. So they would never actually perhaps meet each other, but they were actually seeking connection. And I think about the structure of that, and it seems very similar to what dating, how dating apps function right now. Um, similarly, like you were saying, um, I, the idea of like age, sex, and location has been replicated across multiple different platforms as the as what you what information you provide, what you look for, and then how you're connected. Um, so in some ways, I think it's like it's historical in that people have been using some kind of mediated communication form, even if it's as low tech as a postal network, um, to the current avatar, which is a dating app. But I think there is this like this kernel of truth with something about I want to break out of a very socially visible way of trying to connect with another person and form a relationship to trying to figure out who I am while figuring out who I like, which it seems unique to dating apps. Saying that though, something that like always pulls me back from like seeing uh, from, from that idea very strongly is the fact that like so many hookups happen via matrimonial platforms and the chats on these platforms. So there's something also on the other side of that about it being socially sanctioned more so to be on a matrimonial app that allows people to, you know, find hookups there more often perhaps than on a dating app. So there's like a weird tension there sometimes. Yeah, that's so interesting. So I actually wanted to ask you your thoughts on the role of parents and maybe that being the definitive thing that separates dating from like older courtship rituals and processes. And like, of course, there's, there are questions around like social sanction, but I feel like even what you described, um, like the NGO or the matrimonial websites, if you're using it to hook up with someone, I don't think your parents are going to be involved in that process. And like dating apps specifically, like there's a process of you doing something that was traditionally a process mediated by your parents, which is you're creating your own profile right you're you're putting down your own age location and your profession photos etc cetera, etc cetera, and curating it yourself and i guess that is what you were talking about right that's a little bit of the self discovery that happens through a dating app where you sort of have to know what in very crude terms sells on a dating app like what can be successful on a dating app and it's not entirely different from like a marriage market from that perspective where you do have a profile and you're trying to sell certain uh, characteristics and meet up with people, but your parents aren't a part of this process. And that's a huge difference from before. So like, what do you, how do you think parents fit into it? Like I'm saying all of this, but at the same time, parents are like still in it, but as like this fandom presence in that they're not a part of this process. So, yeah, what do you think about parents and dating? I think you summarized it really well, actually. I think I like that aligns with how I think about it in that you're never going to remove 
parents or parental forces because they're almost like this ghost this ghoul that like looms around all the time irrespective of like how independent you an interaction you think you're having you're still thinking about perhaps in some ways how family dynamics and what parents might think and where you're going for a date unless you unless you're a very particular guy all of this caveated with like it's not for every this doesn't apply to everybody but I think this is a trend um something that I think is interesting is that Perhaps what brings people who are on dating apps in India together and gives them some kind of common ground is this shared understanding of perhaps transgressing what parents might want and the approach that they parents might want to take. And this is something I thought about a lot, like looking at the way Tinder's approach in India changed so dramatically between 2015, 2016 and where they are right now from it being like, oh, this is a parent approved platform, therefore get on it to here, you're out there to, you know, discover yourself and, you know, discover what being an adult is like. And it's worked. Like that's been a huge, a very beneficial shift for the, for the company. But I think also taps into the idea of like, I doubt very many people in India would say that I want my parents' approval to be on a dating app. It's perhaps like moving away from thinking about what parents want in the first place to try and explore who you are to come on a dating app. Um, yeah, I think there's a huge amount of like, self-exploration, discovery, play that draws people into these apps. I think, uh, you know, to Sanaya's point also, like while you do need to kind of know what sells, um, you get to decide what that is. And there's a lot of like self-awareness, I think that you require in order to just create a dating app profile. Not only do you need to know like what sells generally, you need to know what aspects of your own personality are sellable. And how exactly do you like present that on your dating app profile? I think like that in itself for me was like a very weird process when I first attempted to make a dating app profile. And, and oftentimes I feel like when whenever I'm sort of swiping on dating apps, I'm looking for people who've put in that kind of effort into their profile and sort of are trying to represent their personality as best as possible on their profile because... I'm attempting to do that. And I think that tells me something about them that like they know certain things about themselves. There is this level of like self-awareness and knowing who you are and knowing that that's what you want to put out there. And I think like that's something that is unique to dating apps as opposed to other kinds of, you know, courtship platforms. I mean, I've been on a dating app for more than three years <laughs> at this point. And I feel like over time, I've become better at identifying who I might get along with or like what are the tells in a particular profile that would mean that I won't hate the date. Like, you know, like a good date is really like it's it, it doesn't always happen, but you want to avoid like incredibly like awkward encounters or something where you just have absolutely nothing to talk about. So this is something that I think through our research, it, it, we were talking about this, which is that what does a dating app do? It presents you with so many decisions that you would ordinarily leave up to either chance or, you know, like your parents or like your, your parents making certain decisions for you, you being in the workplace and then meeting someone that you might get along with, which is a, again, a matter of chance. But now you have this radical control over the process and for most people you don't know what to do with it like should I go on a date with this person 
Should I talk about how I like to read comic books on my profile? Like, what will that mean if I put this like signal out there in the world? Is someone going to respond to it? And it, mm-hmm. I think I've always said that I feel like dating apps work really well when you know exactly what you're looking for. And it's incredibly difficult when you're unsure. They prompt you to look deeper and be like, oh, do I actually want something casual? Because I said I wanted something casual. I went on a date and then it was something casual and I really didn't like it. And so I so I feel like they are radical from one perspective. But I think another question that I mean would love your take on is um, like who are using these apps? Because, you know, Ketki and I, we occupy a very, very like specific space. Like we live in Delhi, both of us. Both of us have like master's degrees from the London School of Economics. And I imagine that it it, it would be easier for us to know what a successful dating app profile is. And it's not always mm-hmm. the case for everyone. Like this language around dating, we may be well-versed in it and not everyone is as well-versed in it. So like, who would you say are using these apps? How are they being used across urban pockets in cosmopolitan cities, in metropolitan cities? And as you move down to your one, two, three cities, how are they mm. being used there? Um, and who do you think ends up signing on to these platforms? Like, are there like linguistic gender divides, stuff of that nature? Uh, yeah, so much there. Um So like to start off, as you were speaking, I was thinking about just as like, maybe we can come back to this about perhaps how the the looming presence of the parent and the matchmaker has been replaced by the algorithm, which I think is uh, perhaps true. So it isn't just people making independent decisions. It is, it's also the algorithm figuring out how to match them. And there's that presence over there. Um, But thinking about who uses dating apps. So with like any technology, or any new form of technology that comes into a place, it's changed a lot over the years. So when I was in India around 2014, the idea of OkCupid was really big then. And Tinder had kind of launched and people knew what it was, but it wasn't really popular. Um, 2015, 2016, 2017 onwards, the sort of user base for the app has expanded from people like you, people like us, people who are, I'm making assumptions here, but upper middle class, English speaking, um, have a higher education degree in urban metropolitan areas to people who occupy more of a range, but still primarily concentrated in urban metropolitan areas. So at least in 2018, 2019, when I was last in India, uh, for field work, it was very clear from the dating app companies that everyone felt that tier two, particularly tier three cities, were the future of this technology um, in many ways, but had no idea how to tap into that audience quite a lot because like their own lives were so different from it. And when I think about kinds of apps that have made it big there, I'm always reflect on like Instagram versus TikTok, though TikTok's no more, rest in peace. But like the idea of what a vernacular interface feels like and why something like TikTok was adopted so quickly in smaller towns, in smaller cities, in rural areas, was something about like the way you express yourself and the language of being able to express yourself, not feeling very foreign and this element of like, aesthetic judgment being removed, which perhaps like wasn't there on an app like Instagram. And I think the majority of dating apps still feel 
very different, um, feel very Western in many ways than what people um, might ideally want if you're in a smaller town in a smaller city. But all of that being said, what I think is really interesting is like the alternatives that people have to try and, and date in these smaller towns and smaller cities. So when I was in rural MP, and this was in late 2018, early 2019, um, I was in a pocket of the state where the internet had just come in, smartphones were starting to get big. And what people did was Amazon delivery was actually one of those pre-installed apps that was there in the smartphone. And so what people were doing, especially young women, were going to this very specific tree in this very specific part of, of the village where there was, was, there was self-reception, but it was far away enough from everyone else that people couldn't see what they were doing. And they do Amazon delivery. They'd like order something so they could see boys come into the town, but then Amazon had free returns. So it was immediately returned. So there was no money being exchanged. So it was this like really strange, interesting way of dating that was like contextualized to that particular environment, but built off of this infrastructure of an app that was never meant for anything to do with dating. Um, so yeah, I think that's really interesting. Wow. <laughs> that's really fascinating. Yeah. And it's so interesting also, right? Like what you say about like how dating app interfaces may feel so foreign to, uh, you know, somebody in a rural setting or something like that firstly because it's in English you know and like for people who don't understand the language that's already a barrier and and you're kind of um, encouraged to express yourself through these prompts which also probably are very urbanized and like sort of set or like sort of those prompts are also probably written by somebody who is very western or something like that and I feel like it's it's sort of so t- completely removed from that context that I think that like even attempting to embed yourself into this interface may be um, so confusing and so foreign as well. So that makes a lot of sense. And it's so, so interesting. And I think it's the visuals as well of like, not just like what you write about yourself, but how you visually present yourself on, yeah. on the photos that you choose that are very clear markers. And in some ways, the official brackets of like cost and income have been taken away from dating apps, but there are these subtle ways that you're indicating that anyway to the kinds of photos that you pose. I think it's something that people really struggle with. Um, I spoke to several young men who are from lower socioeconomic backgrounds in urban areas, um, but they would they would kind of move from their homes in tier two and tier three cities, and then they would come to cities for like larger cities for their work. And they often talked about how judged they felt because they didn't know the visual language on how to present yourself. Like there were immediate things like the kind of like, selfie in front of a monument with a glass with like sunglasses that Mm -hmm. they were like oh I've slowly learned that like high class and this is within quotes high class women from cities automatically judge you for taking these kinds of posts so like they had to slowly learn the visual language of like how to present themselves but an interesting like counterpoint to that is sometimes like particularly in I mean I've only seen this in Grindr it's one of the places where basically upper class men in large cities often are looking for rural lower costs, lower like socioeconomic status men. And that becomes a kind of particular kind of desire that's being fulfilled over there. And that's that was quite popular in Grindr um, in India during that time. So th- it's complicated, basically. I think like something that we've kind of spoken about, like men and 
specifically like men from lower socioeconomic classes, if there are no urban areas and how um, this is a new language for them to learn. Um, I guess one really big question I think that I, I've had is how have these apps been for women, broadly speaking? Like, is it giving them more agency in this entire process? Something that we haven't historically had a lot of when it comes to this. Um, how do the intersections function here? Like what kind of an experience would a woman from like a lower socioeconomic class have on a dating app? But broadly speaking, does the tech platform and the tech mediator help women through this process? Ooh, the big question of agency, which which always comes down to like, it's such a frustrating answer to give or to have. It's always like, yes and no, it, it does, but it doesn't. Um, where to start? So like in some ways, dating apps give women agency to express and explore themselves and their desires. It makes it easier for them to do that. Um, it allows you to experiment with how you describe yourself. It also gives you a a strange rush of power to be able to look and decide and to swipe and not swipe and, and take control over your interaction with men in a way that like, that it, like it's, it's, you're always sort of like on guard or fighting off or trying to be careful with who's around you. And this kind of allows you this like safe space within your home where you can be like, yeah, like this, don't like this, maybe like this, wouldn't actually go for this, but like, let me swipe right on this and see where it goes with no intention of taking it further. So in that way, I think it gives you an, a, a, gives people and women a sense of agency and, and freedom. So overall in India, there's far more uh, men on dating apps than women. So just by that feature, women have um, more choice over the the entire, entire system. So that's an immediate like starting off point. But then it gets more interesting when you think about the kind of women that dating apps uh, and the dating app algorithm pushes forward to other men. So um, I spoke to a lot of women over the age of 35. And for them, dating apps are actually quite a difficult space because once you're past, uh, I think it, it is 30, it was at least 35. The algorithm doesn't favor you as much and people don't favor you as much. And so it becomes far more complicated. So um, I spoke to women who would go on to a dating app platform that I'm not sure if it's still around, but it was called Ink Love, which was for people with disabilities. And they would try and, and date people there because they wouldn't get any matches on a regular dating app platform, but they wanted to, to find someone. So it gets kind of difficult that way. And with women in smaller towns and smaller cities, I think of this as like a... It's like a bittersweet sort of feeling where they use dating apps a little bit, but um, I think more like WhatsApp was the context that I talked to them about, where they talk to people, to men in, in larger cities, and they imagine a very different kind of life. And they, and they have long conversations, but they know that that's never going to end up in something. And that's a full, full like acknowledgement while they're interacting on these apps. So it's like this like bittersweet feeling of like, I get to explore and touch this world that I know I'm never going to actually be a part of and live, but that's okay. And I think like this idea of like reaching across a distance, being able to imagine a different kind of life um, is a kind of freedom, but when you're not actually able to live it is, is that freedom? I don't know. So do you think that there's like an illusion of choice almost? 
Wait, so tell me more about what you mean by illusion of choice here. Like, I mean, you keep going back to the idea that the algorithm sort of influences a lot, like how age, factors of age, and even earlier you were mentioning something about like the parent as a matchmaker versus the algorithm as well. Essentially, the way that we were defining dating is that like you have a lot of agency, you have the ability to make these choices on your own. But what you don't also realize is that like the choices are kind of like based in what this algorithm is sort of like pushing towards you and how the algorithm is like pushing your profile to other people. Mm-hmm. So how does that interplay into the whole idea of agency and choice on a dating app? I think the illusion of choice is like pushed forward as the primary narrative by dating app companies being like, you have complete choice, you have complete freedom. This is the way you discover everything about yourself. You'll be able to finally take control of things in your life. You'll be able to explore all of these different things. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think the algorithm is a large player in how matches take place. And there's also a bunch of other things like the really practical things like where you are in distance that also come into play and how and how matches um, actually happen. Um, but at the same time, I think like using the language of like illusion of choice is maybe doesn't give enough credit to users of the platform who are often aware, like people know the algorithm is trying to match them up in particular ways and they find ways to circumvent that and change things in the profile so that they can actually like tap into different things. So it isn't like agency is completely taken away and choice is an illusion. People are very aware of, everyone is not aware, but many people are aware of um, the way in which both companies as well as the technological infrastructure is trying to Put them down a path and find ways to like have alternatives to that path like and and seek them out so yeah users are much much smarter than i think companies give them credit for thanks so much for listening dude i was thinking is hosted by sanaya chandar and ketki sharma our producer for this episode is joshua thomas you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your audio content. Be sure to follow us at DIWTPod on Twitter and at Dude I Was Thinking on Instagram. If you have a fleeting thought you'd like us to dissect and analyze or want to collaborate, write to us at dudeiwasthinking at gmail.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. <laughs>